Uh, we uh, continue in this uh, series on living the dream. And over the course of your lifetime, I don't know if you realise this, but most of us will spend 90,000 hours at work. It's a lot of time, isn't it? 90,000 hours at work. Most of us spend, of course, about 8 to 10 hours a day, between 40 and 50 hours a week, and over 2,000 hours a year. 90,000 hours in our lifetime. What do you think God thinks about your work? What do you think God thinks about your work? Well, I believe we can either underestimate the value of our work, saying things like, well, work doesn't matter. It's just a way of paying the bills. I'm just working to pay off that next holiday. I'm working for the weekend. Or let's face it, work is less important than ministry. Or we can overestimate work where we believe that work is all that matters. It's where I find my identity, my purpose, my sense of fulfilment and worth. Where work or our career soon becomes our idol. What do you think God thinks about our work? Well, friends, today I want you to hear that your work is where God wants to use you. Your work is is where God wants to use you. As we continue the story of Joseph, we're going to see that God raises Joseph up to a position of incredibly powerful secular leadership to bless the world. Joseph's story parallels the story of Daniel and Esther. Daniel in Babylon, Esther in Persia. None of them were raised up to be prophets. None of them were priests. None of them were spiritual leaders. But God raised all three up to the highest level of secular leadership and used them mightily for his purposes. I'm sure many of you have heard of William Wilberforce, the British abolitionist, who campaigned for the abolition of the slave trade from 1787 to 1807. 20 years campaigning against this injustice. And throughout his political career, Wilberforce wrestled with this question. Can I serve God and nation in my work in Parliament? At a moment of crisis, he reached out to his mentor, John Newton, famous for writing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And John Newton responded with these words, William, God has raised you up for the good of our nation. Maintain your friendship with Pitt, the Prime Minister at the time. Continue in Parliament, for who knows, for such a time as this, God has brought you into public life and has a purpose for you. Today we're going to see that your work is not secondary to ministry, but neither is your work ultimate. We're going to see that your work, whether it's paid employment, or the way you use your time between jobs, or the way um, you use your time in your retirements, or whether you're at home raising a family, your work is where God wants to use you. So let me pray before we jump into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much uh, for the opportunity and the privilege we have to work. But we pray that you will give us a renewed purpose for our work, that we'd see your view for how we should work and what place it takes in our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we follow through Joseph's story in chapter 41, we're going to look at the place of work, the pressures of work, and the possibility of work. The places of work, the pressures of work, and the possibility of work. I wonder what you'd answer 
to this question. What is your dream job? What is your dream job? If I could take you back to when you were 17 years old and you're making that decision on what you're going to do for the rest of your life, what would you have answered to that job? What is the dream job that you would love to do? Go back a little bit further than that to when I was about eight. I think my dream job was to be a racing car driver. If you know anything about me, that doesn't make that's not a surprise. But what was your dream job? What is it that you thought that you would most like to do? Now, not all of us have ended up there, I know, but what was your dream job? Well, today as we look at the life of Joseph, we see him raised to a dream job, a position of extraordinary privilege and power in the palace of Pharaoh. If you recall the story from last week, you'll remember that God gave Joseph interpretations of Pharaoh's dream that there will be seven years of plentiful harvest coming, followed by seven years of devastating famine. And God gave Joseph a plan to set a wise man over Egypt to steward her resources and prepare Egypt for the famine that was coming. And so I want to pick up the story a little bit before our Bible reading from verse 37. Joseph's plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God lives? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph is appointed to one of the highest secular offices in the land of Egypt, 2IC to Pharaoh himself, a position of incredible power and influence. I guess the equivalent to our Australian Prime Minister ruling our nation under the authority of the Queen. In verse 42, we see that Joseph is dressed for greatness. Pharaoh takes off his signet ring, places it on Joseph's hand, which is the ancient world's seal of authority pressed on official documents so that Joseph could now act on Pharaoh's behalf. They clothe him in fine linen, they put a gold chain around his neck and they give him a royal robe, not dissimilar to the robe that was given to him by his father right back there at the beginning of the story, which now shows that that robe was prophetic of what was going to happen now to Joseph as he is raised to greatness in Egypt. Pharaoh gives him his second chariot And as he is led through the streets, all the Egyptians bow down to him. I guess if he came into Sydney today, it would be the black armoured car, tinted windows, little flags on the front, with uh, security um, clearing the streets and the police making sure that nobody gets in the way. And we'd be all saying, whoa, who's so important that we've all got to clear out of the way? Oh, it's Joseph coming to town. Now, it's interesting that God didn't raise Joseph up to be a priest. He didn't put him in a temple. No, God raised Joseph up to secular leadership, for that is where God wanted to use him to bless the world. Now, of course, as we reflect on this, ministry is important. God's kingdom is advancing in the world, in the world and the church is at the forefront of God's mission. And that is why we want everyone who is part of Menai Anglican Church to use their gifts to serve our church in the many ways that help us to introduce Jesus and change lives. The Give Board, the whole Give Ministry here is all about us getting in together and to do God's work here. 
But the truth is that God doesn't just want us to use us when we're here at church on the weekends or when you're in your growth groups during the week. No, your work is where God wants to use you. For we can all serve God and neighbour where God has placed us. Now, I realise for all of us, uh, we have very different experiences of work. Some of us are in our dream job. God has raised us up into a position of influence and opportunity. Our job satisfaction is high. And I want to remind you, if you're in that position, that as you go to work on Monday, that your work is where God wants to use you. Go to work on purpose to fulfil his purposes. But then some of us will find work very difficult. It can be frustrating. We're not happy in our current job. It feels like we're in a dead-end job with no prospect of advancement. The money's lousy and we feel we've got so much more to give. Now, friends, if that's you, I want to remind you that there's no menial or unimportant job in God's eyes. When Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and took on the role of a servant to wash his disciples' feet, he dignified the humblest of callings. No matter what it is we are doing, we can please God in the way that we work. Having said this, for those who are unhappy in their work, perhaps because you're working in an abusive environment or you're trapped in a job going nowhere, or for those of you that have been forced to look for other work because you've been retrenched or laid off, I want to say that it's not wrong, of course, to look for other work. There is a time for change and it may be the right thing to do. But if it's just that you're finding your work hard and this season of your working life feels a bit of a drag, well, don't just jump ship thinking that there might be something better out there. Joseph's trip to this role was far from an easy journey. He had spent 13 years in Egypt up to this point, in servitude and imprisonment, before he landed this role where God developed his character, where he learned patience and perseverance and dependence on God, all shaping him, able now to do this role. And so in the same way, God may well be shaping you for the role that he has prepared for your future. And so what he might be calling you to do now is just work on purpose, to do what is in front of you, even though it may not be easy, to be patient and learn endurance and to allow God to shape your character in this season of difficulty. You see, friends, your work, no matter what it is, is where God wants to use you. And as we reflect on Joseph's story, he has given Joseph this dream job. He learned dependence on God in the pits, How will he respond to the pressures of the palace? And so we now turn to the pressures of work. Joseph faced the pressure to conform. He's given the royal makeover. He's given wealth. He's given an Egyptian name, verse 45, an Egyptian wife. Will Joseph now allow his life in the palace to shape his heart? Will Joseph allow this new job to so consume his inner life that he's drawn away from this newfound dependence on God. Friends, this is a danger that we all face in our work. You see, you don't just turn up to a workplace to do a job. Your workplace shapes you. It will shape your worldview, your values, your character. It's the way the world lives 
in the way we think. So, for so many of us, what we do for work shapes our identity and our sense of self-worth. If I was to ask you after church, um, who are you? Many of you would answer me by what you do. I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a nurse, I'm a teacher, I'm a minister, I'm retired. So the question that we must face and that Joseph faced is this. How can we resist the pressures of work and not conform to the way of the world? Well, I guess we could retreat, reject a secular workplace, only be prepared to work in the Christian environment, in the Christian business. That's one answer. Or we allow ourselves just to fully immerse ourselves in the secular workplace and conform to its patterns. But neither of these responses are enough or appropriate for those who follow Jesus. God is calling us to have a faithful presence in our workplace, to contribute without conforming, to be engaged in secular work whilst also being distinct from it. As Christians, we've been called out of the world. We're called to be a holy people, set apart for God. And yet he's also sent us back into the world to be salt and light in the world and calls us to have a faithful presence wherever he places us. So how does that look like in our work? Well, the first thing to say is that a faithful presence requires preparation of our hearts. We need to remind ourselves the truths of the gospel. We need to remember that in Christ we have an identity that's found not in what we do, but in who we are as the sons and daughters of the living God, saved by grace and by the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus. Indeed, we no longer live now for our glory, what our work can make us, but for the glory of the one who saved us. And so we don't need to make a name for ourselves in our work. We need to remember that God has given us true riches in Christ, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And so we don't go to work just to earn the almighty dollar and instead can be generous with what we earn rather than endlessly striving for more stuff in the here and now. We remember that because we've been justified in Christ, God is now pleased with us. And so we don't need to go to work to find approval from others. We have the freedom now to serve others with the gifts that we've been given. Faithful presence in our workplace requires preparation of our hearts. We need to talk to ourselves, remind ourselves who we now are as God's people as we go to work. In Joseph's story, we see his faithful presence in the palace, even alongside his secular work of preparing the nation for the famine that is coming. Now, by no means is Joseph perfect, but what he does is maintain his faith in God despite the high position he now fills in the kingdom of Egypt. And we see this in two ways. Firstly, we see it in the name that he gives um, his two sons in verse 51 and 52. And you might remember in the ancient world, names are incredibly significant and give us a clue as to what they value and what is happening. Joseph, we're told, calls his first child Manasseh which we are told is the Hebrew name, meaning it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. And the second child's name is Ephraim, again Hebrew, which we are told means it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of our suffering. 
You see, Joseph reflects upon his life, even within this new position he holds, he realises that it's all been of God. It's all been God's hidden hand at work this whole time, through that time of suffering and now into this time of flourishing. And so it's clear that Joseph maintains his faith in God in this simple little way, in the way that he names his two sons. Now we're going to see that those two sons end up being very important parts of the bigger picture of what God is doing. They'll become half-tribes of the tribes of Israel, um, the heads of those particular tribes. And so that will flow through from here as well. But the second way that we know Joseph maintains his faith in God is that he continues to trust God at his word concerning the upcoming famine. I mean, just think about it for a moment. You're in the seven years of prosperity, the seven years of plenty. Everything is in abundance. Everybody's cruising through life in the land of Egypt, oblivious to what is to come. It'd be easy, wouldn't it, to just ignore the warnings of what is to come, to enjoy the plentiful harvest and listen to those around you. Just take it easy, Joseph. Look how good we've got it. I mean, is this famine you speak about really going to happen? Let's forget about all this stockpiling and feast on what we have now. But Joseph remains vigilant and disciplined. He enacts the plan that God gave to him every year. He puts aside 20% of the harvest in preparation for the famine that is to come. In the first year, 20%. In the second year, 20%. In the third, in the fourth, in the fifth, in the sixth, In the seventh year, 20%. He does the same thing each year because he knows and trusts that what has been revealed to him will happen. He puts God's word first and goes about that in his work. God has called us to have a faithful presence for him in our workplace, contributing without conforming. And so as you go to work this week, you don't just consume a culture but you contribute to the culture of your workplace. And for every one of us, we have the opportunity to influence our workplace with grace and godliness. Tim Keller's written a great little book called Every Good Endeavour, which is a book about work and worth reading for those of us who are in the midst of our working life. He tells the story of an investment banker in New York City who is presented with an investment opportunity for his bank which promises excellent returns. But the banker is concerned by the ethics of the business and the impact this business will have on the community, which he believes damages society according to his own Christian values and judgments. I mean, it's not illegal, but he just deems it unethical. And so he's caught in this ethical dilemma. What is good for the bank? What is good for his team? What is good for the client is different to what he is comfortable in doing. And so he makes this decision. He makes a decision to go ahead with the investment, but chooses to forgo the bonus that would be his for securing the deal. He shares this plan with his team. The investment goes ahead. The other team members receive their cut of the bonus, but he chooses to forgo his bonus. He influences his workplace culture with grace and godliness. He shows what it is to live by the faith that he claims to have, even though it's difficult in that situation. 
Friends, your character at work matters. It's not just about what you do, but how you do it. And so in the face of the pressures of work, what will it look like for you to have a faithful presence in your workplace this week? Contributing, but not conforming. Well, finally, we see the possibility of work for us and for Joseph. Verse 53. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all the Egyptians began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food and Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Now if we think about this geographically in the land of Egypt at the time, Lower Egypt, which sounds weird, is in the north, the Delta region, is virtually rainless. And so all the agriculture relies on the rain coming by the Nile River from the south down near the Sudan. And the entire country depends on the summer floods. So when there's no rain in the south, the Nile River's water level drops and the crops can no longer be watered. And so it doesn't take long before there's no grain to be harvested in Egypt. And indeed, similar for the countries all around them. Except that in the north, Joseph has been stockpiling grain for the last seven years, hasn't he? Which means that Egypt's now able to bless not only its own people, but the people of the whole world. And it's here that we see that Joseph acts as God's instrument of salvation in the world. As people come to buy grain from Joseph, they literally say in chapter 47, verse 45, Joseph, you have saved our lives. Remember the promise of God to Abraham back in Genesis 12? Abraham, you will be blessed with the land of your own, with many descendants. But also through your descendants, the nations of the world will be blessed. And so through Joseph, the descendant of Abraham, all the world is being blessed. And it's here we get a clue to the possibility of our work. We see here that Joseph's work is not for his own benefit. Joseph is stewarding the resource of Egypt to bring blessing to the world. You see, the possibility of our work is this. God is inviting you to partner with him in his love and care for his world. Your work is where God wants to use you. In your work, you can be used by God to care for his world, not as co-redeemers, as only Jesus redeems, but as instruments of grace. As we go to work this week, we are agents of God as he seeks to provide providential care for his world. So let me ask you, how good or how is your work good? How is your work good? Whether you're working in a career or whether it be in the care of your family or in the way you use your time for others, it's important we can answer that question for ourselves. How is my work good? How is my work a blessing to the world? As we answer this, we'll arrive at a deeper sense of purpose for why we get up on Monday morning and go to work. 
and we will see the impact that God can have through us as we work in his world. Paul writes in Colossians 3, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Is that who you go to serve on Monday morning as you go to work? So friends, as we go to work this week, go to work on purpose. Ask the Lord to use you, to shape your character so you might have a faithful presence for him, whether it be in a paid workplace or whether it be the way you use your retirement, the things that you do with your time. God is using us as his instruments to care for his world. We see his hidden hand revealed in the labours of our hands. Your work is where God wants to use you. So let me pray that God will be pleased to use us in our work and also as we work together to make Jesus known. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the privilege we have of working. We thank you for the way that you have prepared us for the work that we are doing and the way that even in our work now you'll prepare us for the way that we will work into the future. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be a faithful presence wherever it is that we are working with the way that we use our time. And Father, I pray that we may have character that shows that we belong to you, that we might be a people that brings blessing to this world, that we might be part of your and act in your provisions for the world that you have created. Father, help us to bring glory to you in the way that we work, as Joseph brought glory to you in the way he outdid his work in the, in the kingdom of Egypt. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.